Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you are enjoying the Bumps and Thumbs podcast. In order to continue to run the podcast and get guests on the show, we need support from people like you. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Once you are there, you'll have options to select from to make a monthly contribution. Your support will help us get on wrestling stars that require financial compensation. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today has been a part of the wrestling business for over 32 years. He was a mild-mannered accountant by day and a pro wrestling referee in the evening and the weekends. He has refereed in the AWA, NWA, WWF, and many indie promotions. He recently authored a book titled Ringman. That takes that talks about his time in wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Dave Dwinnell. Dave, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Well, Brian, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. I've looked at some of your past shows and I was quite impressed. I really appreciate it. Uh, full disclosure, folks, Dave reached out to me, uh, which is rare. I usually have to reach out to everybody I've had on this show. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's an honor and pleasure that uh, he reached out to me and uh, we were able to get this uh, uh, going today. So I appreciate it, Dave. Thank you so much. And uh, let's talk a little bit about you growing up. Uh, you kind of talked to me a little bit before the show started growing up uh, your childhood. So where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in central Massachusetts in a small town called Millbury, which as you could probably guess, had about eight or nine mills in it. Um, It was a blue collar town. Everybody knew everybody, kind of like Mayberry of Andy Griffith. Um, Today, it's a little bit different there. It's a a suburb of Boston, which is 40 minutes away. The mills are now condos, they're all closed and um, many mansions have been popping up and downtown is deserted because everybody goes to the mall outside of town. But it was a wonderful place to grow up and um, came from a big family, um, had about 30 cousins up in the area, and only two of us kind of left the area. We felt that there was life outside Millbury. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, schooling. So you're an accountant, so uh, obviously you had to go to school. Uh, Where did you go to school, and and, uh, what was that like for you? Well, I went to John Carroll University out in Cleveland, Ohio, and I had started off with sociology and um, kind of changed to accounting. And um, after college, I actually went into teaching in a private sector at a a prep school up in Hyde Park, New York. Uh, Found out you couldn't make a whole lot of money teaching in a prep school and actually the school closed. So obviously um, I wasn't going to hang around there. 
So I, I ended up moving uh, outside of New York City, Westchester County, and uh, eventually ended up taking a job at the Trade Center in Manhattan. And um, I, I kind of, I kind of got involved in accounting work, even though I'm not a CPA or anything like that. But it, just through luck, I was able to um, land land a job at the Trade Center. I answered a blind ad, believe it or not, and showed up for the uh, showed up to fill out the paperwork and fellow walks by and says, are you Dave Dwinnell? And I go, well, yes, I am. And he goes, oh, um, you coached my son in basketball. I said, oh. He says, I'm vice president of the company. We'll see what we can do. And I ended up with a job. So it was um, you know, quite fortuitous. That's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, let's talk about getting started in wrestling. Um, based on your background, you don't seem like the typical person that would get into the, the business as, uh, even as a referee so kind of walk us through how you how you started in that how you got involved well I, I mentioned in the book um that to the uninformed observer I probably looked like a suit and tie wearing briefcase carrying nerd but when I got into the locker room and got the powder blue shirt and the bow tie you, you kind of become like Walter Mitty or Superman you you take on a different persona but my actual introduction to wrestling was in 1959. My father had brought home for Christmas a box with a cord called a television set. And uh, there were three channels with snow on. And yeah, yeah. my brother and I were going through the three channels. And I said, gee, there's not much of interest to me. Uh, and then we see these two guys beating the crap out of each other in the middle of a ring. And I'm 12 years old at the time, maybe or 11, and he's 10 or nine. And I'm my brother and I'm going, what is this? It's not boxing. They're not wearing gloves. And uh, I became fascinated with this. And all of a sudden, this guy appears called Ray Morgan, who did Capital Wrestling, which was the original WWF at the time. I, I believe at the time they were part of the NWA. And Ray is sitting at ringside smoking a cigarette drinking coffee, speaking into a microphone going, and stay tuned next week when we have Haystack Calhoun against Phil Kowalski. And I'm going, oh my God, I got to watch this. So my brother and I became fascinated. So in those days, of course, you didn't have internet, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have anything. So we had a form, we had to kind of do in the summertime something to take up our time. So we formed a wrestling league on our front lawn. And wow. Sometimes I'd be the face like Bobo Brazil or sometimes I'd be the heel like Kowalski. And the, to, to do a pin, you had to count one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And sometimes the fights over whether it was a pin or a quick count were, were fiercer than the actual battles <laughs> themselves. Uh, and we eventually decided we were going to go see a live show at the Worcester Memorial Auditorium. And we went to a live show just as I finally, after two weeks of begging my mother, I was in high school at the time. She let us go by ourselves because it, my parents would have ruined it for me. <laughs> we got front row seats. And I looked around and it's all blue collar workers, smoking, drinking. You could hardly see the ring because of the smoke, betting on the matches. And I go, we're, we're kind of like the only kids here. And Bruno San Martino was against uh, the Hawaiian giant, Curtis Iakia. Johnny Raj was on the show, a real hothead. He got thrown in front of me a few times and clenched his fist at me. And uh, it answered the question for me. Was it real? Absolutely. They had the same bumps and bruises I had wrestling with my brother. 
So that was my interest. That was my introduction to wrestling. And of course, I cheered Bruno on and I got to meet Bruno at the World's Fair. And he actually spent 10 minutes talking to me, which I thought oh, wow. was fantastic. I was in high school. I waited for everybody to leave. He was at the Budweiser Pavilion, I think it was, carrying two quarter kegs on his shoulders around. And I waited until after he did this and everybody left and I went home and I said, Bruno, I'd like to talk to you. And he goes, absolutely, but let me sit down. I'm exhausted. And he, he spent 10 minutes. Now, how many, how many world champions would spend 10 minutes talking to a high school kid? Nowadays, um, not too many. That was my kind of, I don't want to talk too much. And it, it no, was, it's, it's, this was, this is all about talking. So I, that's interesting that you talked to Bruno San Martino for 10 minutes and he didn't charge you 50 bucks uh, or anything. But back in those days, you know, things were a lot different. Well, and I figured I'd never have a chance to see him again because I was still yeah. living in Mulberry at the time. Well, as I mentioned before, I moved to Westchester County outside New York City. I was working at the Trade Center. And on Monday nights, I used to, once a month, we'd watch the Madison Square Garden live. And I'd have a bunch of friends over and we'd have a few brewskis. And I made the comment, gee, that ref's doing a terrible job. So my friend goes, yeah, and you could do a better job? I said, probably. So well, why don't you? So the next day I said, you know what? At the, at the suggestion of a friend, I'm going to look into this. So I call, I, I couldn't find a number. There was no internet in those days. I couldn't find a number for the WWF. So I found uh, Capital Wrestling. So I call Capital Wrestling 25 times. Nobody answers. Finally, on the 26th time, I don't know if it was Tootsmont or Willie Gilsenberg, but I get on the phone. And I said, is this Capital Wrestling? Yeah, who wants to know? I said, well, my name's Dave Dwinnell. What do you want? I said, well, I want to be a referee with your, we don't need any. I said, okay. I said, can I send you a resume? Don't send me any gifts, kid. The answer will still be no. And he hangs up. I said, well, that went well. And I said, <laughs> I'm not giving up. I looked up their physical address and I found it. And I went to it and it turned out to be the Holland Hotel in Manhattan. Oh. So every day at lunchtime for three weeks, I went at lunchtime to see if I could find somebody coming in or out from the WWF. Well, finally, the doorman comes out and, and he says, can I ask you something? Are you a cop, a private eye, a stalker, or are you just a nut? And I said, well, I'm looking for somebody from the WWF. And he goes, they're here once a month for a couple of days. Evidently, they use the room there as their office when in New uh. York. So he said, if you don't leave now and, and you, you better not come back, I'll have you arrested for stalking. I said, OK. So I said, well, this ain't going to work. I give up. Well, about a month later, I'm the master of ceremonies at our church's 100th anniversary. And I run into this guy called Mickey DeFate. And he was with the box. He had been a, a boxer. And he, I figured maybe he'll know something about wrestling. He said, yeah, I'll tell you how to get a license. Stop by my office tomorrow on Jackson Avenue. So I drive up down Jackson Avenue 10 times. So office is a hot dog truck. <laughs> and I walk in, he says, here, start helping me serve hot dogs. So I serving hot dogs with him. And he says, look, you want to get a license? Any wrestling promoter in New York has to be licensed by New York State. And he goes, I will get a couple of, with your background, having taught and coached, I will I get a couple of politicians to recommend you to the state commission, which they did. So I get a packet in the mail um, to fill out, send in a $50 check and fill this out. 
non-refundable. That's the state. Um, two weeks later, I get a license. I'm now certified to referee in New York. Wow. That's, I said, that's... wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Except they never called me. <laughs> so three months go by and I'm going, well, I'm not paying them 50 bucks. I'll tell them, give me my money back if you're not going to call me. So the, the office was right around the corner from the athletic commission. The athletic commission was right around the corner from the trade center. So I walk over and I speak to this clerk and I, and I said, you know, I'd like to work. You gave me a license. I want to work. Oh, we'll call you shortly. Well, three months went by and I guess shortly for him was different than me. So I go back. And this time Mickey told me, you tell you, you want to speak to the boss, tell the clerk, forget it. So we started arguing and yelling and the boss comes up, the chairman of the commission. So he says, come into my office. And I told him I had been involved in politics. I ran for mayor of our small community, happened to be in a party he was appointed in. He says, you're going to work. So two weeks later, I get a call and they assign me to the Westchester County Center, holds 5,000 people with the WWF. And I'm going, what do I do now? I've never talked to a wrestler. I don't know if it's fake. Uh, could they hurt me if they don't like me? Uh, so I went and borrowed every VHS tape known to mankind and watched the referee. So I show up at the county center and I'm going, well, this may be the first and the last. So Arnold Scolan was the promoter with his wife, Betty. Okay. okay. And this is back in 1982. And I had known Arnold because we had, he lived near me and we used to meet at this coffee shop. He'd be there, I'd be there and we'd talk wrestling. So I show up with my little suitcase. I never brought a gym bag. I always brought a little suitcase. And Arnie goes, um, Dave, you going on vacation? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm one of your referees. And he was totally in shock. Excuse me. And I'm dripping all over with the You're sciences. Fine. You're fine. He's totally in shock. So he says, um, it's getting late, Dave. You better go up and talk to Rods. My first match was Johnny Rods, the hothead that had been thrown on my feet a few years prior. It was against Johnny Rods against 21-year-old Eddie Gilbert. Wow. So he says, go up and talk to Rods. So I'm going up the stairs to the Peel's locker room, and I'm going, what do I talk about? The weather? How's the wife? Is wrestling fake? I said, this is not going to end too well. So I walk in the locker room and Johnny's tying his boots and Johnny calls me old and he says, first match, kid? I go, How'd you know? He goes, I know. Now, I didn't know Johnny broke in the talent for Vince. He broke in a lot of talent for Vince yeah. Sr. trusted Johnny because Johnny, everybody goes, well, how did a jobber get in the Hall of Fame? A jobber? He was a yeah. great wrestler and he broke in so many. I mean, in wrestling, people don't understand. You could have a horrible wrestler who's the face who's really over, and the guy that makes him is the heel. And uh, Johnny, Johnny was well-respected in business. As a matter of fact, Jack, uh, Jack Briscoe, who was a great champion, said that Johnny Rice could have a match with a, um, um, with, a, with a broom and make the broom look good. So the yeah. greatest thing that could have happened to me was I had Johnny Rice. So Johnny calls me over, put me at ease, said, let's work together. You're going to disqualify me at the end of the match. And you are going to tell me I'm going to have the commission fine you $1,000 if you push me again. He made me an integral part of the match. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got me through the first match. And from that on, they put a new athletic commissioner in who happened to be friends of friends. And he said, Dave, I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to go to the county center. I'm going to watch it. If you can work, we'll use you. 
If you can't, we won't. He said, Dave, you were good. We're going to call you. And they started calling me on a regular basis. So I know it was a long, detailed story, but that's basically how I ended up in the ring, um, which is kind of really unusual. I guess there were no wrestling schools in those days. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty amazing that um, you actually had known some of these people. I mean, the commission, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And how you got involved is because it's it's a it's actually a very neat story that uh, how that happened. Well, nobody really wanted to be a wrestling referee in those days. It was really boxing. The commission handled boxing and wrestling and wrestling was kind of considered um, second best. I mean, the magazines, many of the magazines, they had wrestling in back of the uh, boxing and ring magazine, for example, Mm -hmm. you'd buy a magazine when I was a kid, boxing would be in the front and they have a few pages of wrestling. Yeah. So you kind of started when the, you know, the, in the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, and my understanding is, uh, you know, at that time, there were so many different territories. You know, you had the big three. Well, what many consider the big three, the AWA, the NWA, and the WWF. And you started out in the WWF. Did, uh, when did you, I mean, some other great matches. Did you ever, like you said, Johnny Rots, uh, you did some title matches. What was your, in that time when you first started what was probably your I don't want to say favorite but most memorable match that you worked that's an easy question excuse me Bruno San Martino who came out of retirement for a few matches I happened to be lucky enough to do Bruno against um, Bob Orton Sr. Randy Orton's father at the county center I have a wonderful picture of it. There was um, a man, it wasn't televised, but there's a man in the front row that had a zoom lens camera. So I went out in my street clothes before and I said, look, if Bruno wins, would you please take a picture? Me raising his hand. Um, so I got in a ring and Bruno wins, but via count out. So we were in a wrong side of the ring. So I'm, I'm, I'm trotting Bruno all the way around the other side of the ring. And Bruno goes, are we on television? And I said, no, no, I'll explain in the locker room, but you have to come with me. So we trotted around the entire ring so we got to the cameraman and I raised his hand and we got back to the locker room. He, he got the biggest kick out of that. And I guess he probably thought, God, this guy's a fan. He's not a worker. But you know what? For that match, I wasn't. Yeah. Because here's a guy I met in high school that I watched at the county center and I'm in a ring with him. Yeah. And, and obviously he sold out the garden for so many years i mean it was just a thrill to be in the same ring with the living legend that's probably without a doubt not probably it's without a doubt the greatest match i ever worked and uh, the second greatest was actually um usa pro wrestling came in with the nwa awa remember vince was going into their territory so they came in to invade his territory and i got to work with nick bockwinkle against <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, no. Nick Bockwinkle against um, uh, Rick Rick Martell for the title, AWA title. But what made that match special was in the corner of Nick Bockwinkle was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, the first wow. WWF champion. Yeah. So I got to work with three champions in one match. Yeah, and that's I'll never forget 
I'll never forget pointing at Rogers and he was giving me heat at the end of the match because Bachwinkle's leg was over the rope and I missed it. And I counted to three and he was in my face and ready to hit me. And I said, I cannot believe I'm arguing. And you know, the sad part, a lot of people in the audience had no idea who he was. Yeah. That was kind of the sad part, yeah. but what a match. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, yeah, you mentioned that. Um, I didn't see Buddy Rogers much as a kid. I knew more as a, you know, the manager, because he's managed Snuka for a while and all that. Right. Um, but you mentioned the name even Nick Bockwinkle today to a younger fan. They're not going to know who he is, and that's pretty unfortunate. I mean, that guy, I mean, I couldn't stand that guy when I was a kid. He was such a good heel. But Well, him he, and Heenan got some heat. I believe Bobby Heenan is his manager. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And they got some heat. You talk yeah. about heat. Yeah. I mean, I could not stand those two. And they did their job very, very well. I will say that. So okay. Well, you, the funny the funny okay. part, the funny part for me was I enjoyed working more with the legends mm-hmm. when I was refereeing than with the guys that maybe even were on top at that point in time guys like Harley race guys like, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, guys like uh, Nick Bockwinkle, people, people of that nature, um, which are such marvelous technicians that I don't think we'll ever see some of the likes again. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, I was a kid when those guys were probably in their prime, you know, in the, in the, 70s you know I was a young kid but I I remember them and I think another one that's under appreciated that you probably did some matches is, is probably Bob Backlund yes I worked more with Bob on the independent circuit after he had left with Northeast champ Northeast wrestling uh, my, my um Michael Lombardi uh with Northeast wrestling here is very big on the east coast and has been for a long time. And I, I was a senior referee for 16 years. Okay. In fact, when I started out with Michael, uh, I was his only referee. I'd do seven or eight matches back in those days. Yeah. Um, and I worked with Bob several times on the independent circuit. Bob was a champion when I came in. And uh, I, I did not work with him in WWF, but I did work with him in the independent. And, and one of the things I respect phenomenally about Bob is um, we had a match and he was wrestling kind of a nobody, a no, no name, um, maybe a local kid. Before the match, Bob goes, you know, let's let the kid work. Let him get some high spots. Let him do his thing. Let, let's make him look good in front of the crowd. I don't want to do a squash match. I'm not going to do a five-minute match. I want to give the people something. And um, you have to respect somebody like that because not everybody would do that. Yeah. Um, and he, he was a real, real gentleman. I mean, I have so much respect for him. Um, I have so much respect for him because of the fact that um, that's the way he approached the business as a, as a, as a, and I see him and Bruno San Martino and people of that nature, Harley race. Um, they had such respect, not that they don't today, but they had such respect for the business. And I mean, Bruno, I don't know if you knew this or not. Bruno would not have an alcoholic beverage. He liked to have a wine with dinner, but if he was in a restaurant and there were kids in a restaurant, he wouldn't have a drink. Oh, I did not. He felt, he felt that it was not, um, it was not uh, proper for a champion to drink in front of young people. It wasn't a good thing. 
And I'll tell you if I could do another story about Bruno. Sure, go ahead. Um, he was he was commenting on a match that I did one night. He was a commentator, and we went out for dinner after, and I happened to be sitting next to him. And I, I was relatively young wrestle referee at the time, and Bruno said something to me that I carried throughout my career. He said, "Dave, I want to tell you something. If there's five people in the arena, or fifty, or five thousand, or fifty thousand, or a hundred thousand." He goes, you work your tail off because those people might have saved their money for weeks to see that match. And you owe them um, all you can give. So never look at the crowd. Just always work the same and give people what they deserve. And see, to me, that man never forgot his humble beginnings. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, it's amazing that you mentioned some of those names. Uh, Quick story for you, Harley Race, before he passed away, this was probably probably 10 years ago now, I was at a, one of his WLW events in Springfield, and uh, it was probably the first one I'd been to of his. And he, uh, I had an uh, action figure of him in the, in the box still, and I was walking by his truck, and I pointed to him and I told my wife, I said, hey, that's Harley Race. I want to make sure and see him inside before we, or the match so he, he can sign it for me. And he looked up and saw me and he waved to me to come over. And he goes, you want me to sign that for you? I said, yeah, I'll wait till you're inside. I, I don't want to bother you while you're outside here taking a break or whatever. He goes, no, no, no. Give it to me. And I gave it to him. I handed him a marker. He signed it. Eight times world champion, Harley Race handed it back to me. He goes, "Thanks for coming out, and uh, I'll see you inside." And I just was in awe. You wouldn't find that today, I don't think, with wrestlers of today's era. You see some, and they're gonna, "Oh yeah, come here, I'll sign your stuff real quick." I mean, I don't think. I mean, but I just thought that was a great gesture from such a legend. Well, the, the true legends are, that's why they're legends, because <clears throat> they have a feeling and an empathy. I mean, people forget that the fans are the most important element in wrestling. Without fans, there is no wrestling. I mean, my book is dedicated to all wrestling fans of all ages and generations, <clears throat> because without the fans, um, we're nothing. What, 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 you know, what, what do we have? We have no yeah. one to perform in front of. And, and, and I, I was a fan, and I still am. Um, and, and I don't think there's anything to be ashamed in that um, for those who really love the who really love the business. I, I will tell you one thing, though. There, there, there was a story, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but a former champion, a well-known champion, was um, in, um, in it was either train station or, or, or the airport, and a kid went over and asked for his autograph, and the person was reading the paper, and um, he wanted to charge him 100 bucks because he said, you're going to sell it on the Internet. And a kid goes, no, no, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. He goes, no, you're going to sell it on the internet, 100 bucks. Father came over and said, really? And he goes, really? So that's how it's changed. Yeah, <laughs> and that's unfortunate because probably most of the time that's does what happened, unfortunately. They'll get the autograph and then they'll, they'll, they'll sell it. Now, a lot of them, if you put your name on it, you know, they'll say to whoever your name is and then sign it a little more challenging to get rid of it but yeah i mean unfortunately that's true so i kind of you know i get it but i also am like okay they're paying to see you 
sign the sign the darn whatever it is a picture or action figure so but in fairness to the guys today it's yeah. a completely different oh, era. Yeah. It's a completely different story mm-hmm. and um this is you know this is where all sports people kind of like are at mm-hmm. um and i'm not gonna knock them for doing this i right. mean you know because they, they also have to strike while the iron is hot because next month they may be gone. So they, they, they kind of have to strike, you know, while the iron is hot. I could tell you a funny story, though, about signing autographs. Um, one night I was working, I think, the Ridgewood Grove Arena around Queens or Brooklyn, wherever. I, can't, I think it's Queens. It was in Queens. It's closed many years. And it was raining a little bit. And I'm out front and I'm signing about 30 autographs. Okay. And on the 31st, I said to this kid, it was all kids. I said to this kid, I said, why would you want my autograph? And I was feeling pretty good. And he, I said, why would you want my autograph? He goes, you're the only free one and you're better than nobody. Leave <laughs> 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 it to a kid. Leave it to a kid to bring you back to reality. You know what, you know what I'm saying? You know, so that, that was pretty. Um, oh, that's a good one. I like yeah. it. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, I'm going to WrestleCon at the end of this month down in Dallas. It's about a few hours from where I'm from. And, uh, you know, you got to pay, you pay to get in the event and then you pay for each, whatever autograph, you can go up and talk to them for a few minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you want to autograph, you want a a photo with them, you know, they, 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 they charge you extra. Which I understand they gotta they gotta make uh, money on it for being there, but uh, it's gonna be a huge event, and I'm glad it's close enough because uh, I've never been to one. I'm pretty excited about it. It's kind of like a, I guess like Comic Con or whatever those other ones are. So you know, it's, a lot of legends are there too. So it sounds like it's gonna be really a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think it will be. Uh, my wife's coming with me. She's not much of a fan, but she's gonna do it because. You know, it's me and I do stuff for her that go to stuff with her that I don't really particularly care for. But that's 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 what marriage is about. Right. Give and take. Well, I'll tell you a funny story about my wife. Um, I was during intermission. I'm out in the um, my wife used to come to some of the shows, especially when I get older, because I was getting a, I was on, I was probably close to 60 or in my 60s when I retired. And I met a fan out at the hot dog counter and he said oh ref i met your wife she was sitting behind he said oh really i said yeah i look back and there's a woman reading a book and she's got a little um she's got napkins on it was bleachers she she used to sit way up in she had napkins on the bleachers having a little snack and reading a book and the guy turns around and he says um lady can i ask you a question you don't look like you belong here why would you buy a ticket and come here she goes oh I'm married to the older referee. If he gets hurt, someone will have to take him to the hospital. <laughs> the older referee. I said, you, could, you know, you just couldn't say to referee. You know? But um, so I know what you mean when you say the wives, uh, you know, they, they, they're good. They, they're good. They, they, they give and take just like, just like we do. So I, I appreciate her. She's a good woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of those <laughs> things that, People, the same thing, kind of look at me when I go to these events, more of the, you know, the indie ones. They're like, one person come up to me and says, you don't look like you need, you should be here. I'm like, what do you mean? Because I'm, you know, I was, I guess, had more dressier or something. I wore a collared shirt. I don't remember, but 
he just kind of said, well, you just look like a business guy and you should be doing something else. I was just like, mm. no, I, I really enjoy this uh, or I wouldn't be here. So understand that. Well, I can certainly see that you, that you do enjoy it. Um, I do. Oh, yeah, you look at, uh, for those of you watching, you can see the background. Yeah, I, uh, I do. I've loved it since I was a kid. Uh, my parents thought I was crazy. Uh, people that know me that don't know me other than when I was, I was in the army for a long 26 years, if they didn't know me outside of work and they saw me at something or they, I had something like that, they'd be like, that doesn't seem like you. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm different when I'm off work than uh, at work. Well, I think people had the same reaction to me. If, if I happen to mention it, I, you know, I, I, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was, um, doing shows uh I, I actually traveled a little bit i traveled quite a bit mm-hmm. i'm not necessarily with the wwf uh, i was lucky enough to, to hit it with three um really good independents mm-hmm. and they used me almost exclusively they liked the way i worked with the wrestlers they liked the fact that i worked hard in the ring and, and this kind of stuff and so i was very fortunate to have a lot of work um i i would be uh, uh, for for someone who did this part time, I never did this full time. I always had a legit job. Yeah. Um, actually, my my last job for 23 years was running the largest tax collection agency in the, um, for town in New York. I was elected receiver of taxes, and I actually collected Freddie Blassie's taxes, um, Arnold Scolan, and Paul Heyman's parents' taxes. I'm sure they loved you for that. <laughs> oh yeah. So if I could tell a Freddie Blassie story, I'd let's love hear to. it. Fred, Freddie was. Freddie was one of my favorite people. He lived um, 20 minutes from me. And first time I worked with Freddie, the WWF used to appear at high schools and colleges back in the 80s. And we did a high school show in one of the worst sections of Brooklyn. It was like my third or fourth match out at Bedford-Stuyvesant. And I show up at the show um, and Arnold Scullin was in charge. It was a small show at, at, at a Catholic high school. And um, I'd always wanted to meet Freddie. So I see Freddie sitting there. So we started talking. And all, for some reason, we both hit it off really good. Now, Freddie thought he was the toughest wrestler of all time. So I used to bait him. Every time I'd see him, I'd say, hey, Freddie, I heard Gorgeous George, even though he had the appearance of, of kind of a little bit of a fairy. I said, I heard he was a tough wrestler. Ah, oh, shit, he didn't know the difference between a toenail and a toehold. I said, okay, so we get in the ring. We're in the ring now, and, and, and he's managing. He's the Ayatollah Blassie managing the sheet. So he calls me over, and he says, Dave, look at the crowd. He goes, holy shit, they're tougher looking in the wrestlers. He goes, this is going to be a little rough. Now, we used to get paid according to the number of people that showed up at a show. So the garden would be top pay. The Coliseum, the Nassau Coliseum would be top pay. These small shows would be small pay, maybe $50, $75, Um, But it depended on the number of people in the crowd. So Freddie looks up in the balcony and he sees a man weighing about 350 pounds sitting on two chairs. So Freddie goes, when you get back to the locker room, Dave, you tell Skolin to go up there and make sure that guy bought two tickets. Because one ticket, one more ticket could put us into the next category. I said, I I don't think I'm going to want to go up and ask this guy. But I said, well, I just hope the balcony doesn't fall with this guy sitting up there. And and Freddie goes, well, what the hell do we care? We're getting paid. We'll go home early. 
<laughs> so that that was Freddie. But 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 the best story of Freddie, if you don't mind me telling, um, he came in at a tax law. He used, to, he used to say, Dave, how can I get my taxes lowered? I'd say, move out of Westchester. But he'd come into the office one day, and, and he's pounding on the outer office on the counter with his cane, his gold cane. He's pounding, saying, where's the supervisor who's the mayor? Where's the, where's the supervisor's office? Where's the supervisor's office? I'm going to go in and body slam him on his desk. So one of my... Uh, one of my people who worked for me comes running into my office. He said, there's a crazy man in our office. I said, that's not a crazy man. It's Freddie. You know him? I said, I work with him. Huh? So I went out and said, Freddie, come into your office. We'll talk. I said, Freddie, why are you going to go body slam the mirror? I said, I can't let you do that. I said, if you do that, I'll have to call the cops. He goes, shit, you'll be calling the ambulance. Uh, <laughs> so I said, Freddie, what's the problem? He said, I got wild cats running around my lawn. And he said two weeks ago he'd take care of it, and he didn't. Well, so where's his office? We'll take care of him. I'll get him in an arm lock. I said, Freddie, I'll call the animal warden. I did. And I said, they'll be taken care of. And he, and he did. And I spared the um, life of the, um, the mayor. Life of the mayor. <laughs> but Fre Freddie, his proudest moment was being banned from the garden because in his match with Bruno, people were ripping out seats and throwing them in a the ring. And um, he, he Freddie was was a really a character. He was one of the big characters that yeah. I met, you know, on it. He was never off. He was never off screen. Even him and I talking alone. It was Freddie. Um, he, he actually started out um, in, in the days when they were in carnivals. Ah, back in, yeah. back yeah. in the 30s, he started as Sailor Freddie Blassie. And um, after he'd come out of the war, I guess, uh, in the 40s. So. He was, a, he was a character. Yeah. Yeah, he was a character. I mean, I, I don't remember him as a wrestler. I remember him as a manager in the, you know, WWF, the Ayatollah. Yeah, and, the Ayatollah. Uh, yeah, he was, he was a character. Let's talk about, you've been honored by some organizations. Uh, most notably, I uh, did the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in, uh, in 2011. Talk right, Joe us. Bruin. Right, Joe Bruin inducted me. I was. Uh, it was a great honor, um, unexpected, but great honor. Yeah, talk about your when you got that call, your emotions when you got up there. What was that? What was that like for you? Well, about a year before, I'd have been inducted into the Northeast Wrestling Hall of Fame um, in its initial class, along with Bam Bam Bigelow, and. Uh, uh, Kurt Adonis, um, and that was totally unexpected. Um, and then uh, when Joe called me a year later for the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, uh, it, it, it again was unexpected, but because as a referee, um, you know, like I said, nobody really basically ever paid to see a referee. Um, my job was to make the guys look good. But I, I think probably because I stuck around for so long, and I worked for so many various promotions. I, I did get to work with the NWA when they came to New York. And I, I did a tour with them uh, overseas in Germany. Um, and I, I very much enjoyed working with them. Uh, I had a chance to work with people like, um, uh, well, um, I'm trying to think of the fellow's name. He was hurt in a plane crash. And he, he never wrestled again. I can't think. Oh, um, 
was it Bobby? Uh, Bobby? No, Bobby Shane? No, no, no. Uh, it, it may come to me. But anyway, I had a chance to work with the NWA people, and um, uh, I, I guess probably because I stayed around so long uh, that you know that that was one of the reasons, maybe, and also because of my work ethic, I think, in the ring. Uh, and, and and again, I never expected to be in, inducted into a couple of wrestling halls of fame. Um, and I was honored with a 25 year plaque from Northeast wrestling. And uh, I, I, I was really, I was shocked and surprised and very, very honored and very humbled. I mean, I got inducted into the New England pro wrestling hall of fame with people like Jay Strongbow, Rick Martell. Um, let's see who else. Uh, there was a number of, 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 of really great, yeah. great guys. And what an honor to, to be associated. Howard Finkel was the master of ceremonies and, it, it was just a, a terrific experience. Yeah. Again, very humbling. Yeah. Um, because again, I, you know, as a ref, you never wanted to take away from the boys. You wanted to work with them. And I think they appreciated that because, um, and, and not a knock on state officials, but not all state officials, I don't think, understood um, the wrestling game. Right. Um, when I started in 82, I was told by the older officials, if they ever touch you, you disqualify them on the spot. Well, I'm saying to myself, yeah, and I'll never work again. You know, so they took it to be like it was boxing and they, they approached it as if it was boxing and, and you couldn't do that. I mean, you know, I was too much of a yeah. fan yeah. to see what I was supposed to do. So again, it was very humbling. Yeah, I mean, being inducted into those Hall of Fames, I mean, as a referee, especially, is is quite special and is uh, says a lot about you as a person as a worker you know in the business you know you don't see a lot of referees being inducted into hall of fames so hats off to you sir well thank you thank you thank you for that you know could i could i could i give you a funny story though about i talked Please. about chief j strongbow being yeah. being inducted with him and uh, samu Samuel. And by okay. the way, uh, it should be noted, and I do have it on my Facebook, somebody sent it to me, much to my displeasure. Um, do you remember when Rikishi and um, his cousin, the partner, they were the Samoan savages, it was yeah. Rikishi and someone else, uh, another Samoan, uh, Umaga, before he was Umaga. They used to do a dance in a ring, which was almost like a break dance. Yeah. And they insisted that I do it with them. And it was voted the worst referee to do a, to do a uh, Umaga uh, dance in the ring with these two guys of anyone. Um, so um, now I've totally forgotten your question. <laughs> no, I was just so saying that, um, you know, being in the business for that long oh, and being recognized, you know, it says a lot about you and uh, your work ethic because you don't hear of a lot of referees being recognized by a wrestling hall of fame. So I just said it was your character and uh, no, I just said, I really appreciate it. So, you know, I, I just wanted to let you know that. And then well, thank my, you. my last question is what are you doing now? Well, I've been retired for 10 years. I live up in the Catskill Mountain area, um, which is about mm, two and a half hours from New York City. Um, beautiful retirement type of area to retire to. 
Um, I've been doing several things. I most recent, well, I, I wrote the book. It gave me an opportunity to write the book, um, which is about almost just short of 300 pages with about 40 photographs in it. And um, again, it's not a book that throws anybody under the bus. Right. Um, it, it's a fan-based book that shows my appreciation for the time I spent in the, uh, and again, it's dedicated to fans. Yeah. And yeah. It, it talks about my, my career and it talk, a lot of very, very funny and interesting behind the scenes stories yeah. um, about those days back in the eighties and nineties when things were people kayfabe was in play people thought it was uh real the people weren't allowed in the locker room it was just for the referee and the wrestlers and it was a different time and era and i'd like to share i wanted to share that with mm -hmm. and it got a great it got a good review by the mm -hmm. way from slam wrestling out of uh, canada and, and yeah i just did a podcast with uh greg oliver oh you uh, did yeah i did one uh uh monday night uh oh yeah uh Great guy. Uh, had a yeah. good conversation yeah. with him. Yeah. So they gave me a really, really positive review. I mean, I was nervous about writing the book because mm -hmm. I'm not a name. People aren't going to recognize Dave Dwinnell. And I've, on some of the other podcasts, some of the people said, well, we had no idea who the heck you were. But when we started investigating some of the mm -hmm. stories you had and this and that, yeah. so it would be great to have you, have yeah. you on. So uh, I was fortunate there. So yeah. I wrote the book and, and it's going well. And I've been to a few fan conventions and it's all well because I priced the book at fourteen ninety nine, uh -huh. and the Kindle or, or the eBooks, and they're available on Amazon and all over the place. Uh -huh. um, they're the, that's five ninety. I, I wanted to. I, I didn't expect to make a lot of money off it. I wanted uh -huh. to share my experiences, and it gave me something to do in retirement. The other thing yeah. I'm doing is I'm working with the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, okay. which is being set up in Albany, New York. Um, they're going to be at the. They're going to be located at the Times Union Center, which is the big civic center in Albany. They have the WWF on a regular, semi-regular mm -hmm. basis, and they're going to be located right there where all these sporting events are taking place. They, mm -hmm. They're going to. We're going to be setting this up. I'm helping the founder Seth um, Turner and also Michael Lenuto, who's working very closely with him. We're going to be doing what we can to set it up so there'll be a place to honor the International Wrestling Hall of Fame. Okay. We had our first, they had the first uh, dinner last year, and they mm -hmm. honored uh, past wrestlers who had passed away. Their inductees were past wrestlers who had passed away, um, and also American, foreign, uh, so forth. And um, I'm kind of excited about working with them on that. Mm -hmm. And I also have a love for music, although I don't play an instrument. I put together a New Orleans jazz band, which I love New Orleans oh, wow. music. We put together a jazz band up here, which before COVID was going pretty well. But of course, with COVID, we had to back off quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, re I'm really keeping busy. And I was yeah. through Facebook. I was yeah. able to touch base with a lot of the wrestlers I'd lost contact with. Guys I worked with, hadn't heard from in years. And what's kind of funny is, Guy, a guy will tell me, hey, Dave, I loved working with you. And he used his real name. Well, I didn't know most of the wrestlers' real names. I only knew their. So this guy was saying, um, I'm so-and-so, and I worked with you, and I had to look up who he wrestled as in order to be able to know who I was being. Yeah, yeah. Because I had no idea their real name. So I'm keeping busy in retirement. 
And my six grandkids keep me very busy. I love them dearly. And they are uh, the lovers of my life. And love my wife, Valerie, who convinced me that you better retire because I had, I had injured my knee at the end of my career. I never had an injury for 32 years and rolling into the ring. I caught my boot on the, on, on the, um, on the outside of the ring and tore a meniscus muscle. And with the arthritis I had in there, I kept trying to wrestle. I, I kept trying, I kept trying to referee and my knee caved in. I couldn't get up without grabbing the ropes. And finally my wife threatened to divorce me if I didn't retire. Oh, so yeah. I owe an awful lot to her because yeah, she was always yeah. there for me at the end. She'd help me into the car when I could hardly walk. And I was stubborn. I wasn't giving up without a, uh, without a fight. Uh, without a fight. So, you know, God bless That's her amazing. and so forth. That's amazing. Um, you know, you mentioned the Inter- International Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, I know I did a podcast uh, probably six or seven months ago now with uh, Mac Davis. He, he was up there last year um, doing some stuff with that. And uh, I don't know if you know him or not. Yes, I, I do. I know okay. the name. So I okay. believe I did meet him up there. Yeah. Um, Great guy too. And he was uh, going up there last year. I think he's going up again this year for it and, and getting involved with that. So that's a great, uh, I've kind of looked that up as well. And, and it looks like a great organization. And I hope you guys, uh, continue what you're doing, you know, up there. And with your, your book Ringman, I'm going to folks, I'll have that posted out in the description where you can purchase it uh, in the description. And I want to thank one more time, Dave Dwinnell. Thank you for, for coming on today, sir. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And I always enjoy talking about um, pro wrestling, especially from the classic era. Mm-hmm. And, and can I, if I could say one last thing, Please. Um, the, nowhere in the book do we knock today's wrestlers just because I happen to come from a different era, possibly mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of a Cro-Magnon man, you might say, but I respect and I, I, I have great admiration for the guys today because they put their, they put their uh, lives on the line going into the ring. People think it's all uh, preordained, but there's always the element of danger when you step into the ring yeah and i think i actually think it was dangerous years ago i mean i had i had darts sticking out of my uh, boots one night people were throwing darts because oh. people wow. they were throwing beer canisters they were throwing a dart um and um flashlight batteries were flying by my size d and oh, when you boy. talk about heat talk yeah about heat. so people don't realize there is an element of danger there's always a chance you can get hurt Mm-hmm. And uh, my hat's off to the guys today. Yeah. It's a different time. They're bigger. They're quicker, like all sports. Yeah. Um, are, are they tougher? People say, oh, the old one's tougher than the new ones. No, they're both. They're just different time, different eras. Yeah. And you really can't compare the two. Yeah. But my hat's off to anyone who puts the tights on and gets it. All right. Well, from there, Mr. Dave Dwinnell, thank you so much, sir, for coming on. I appreciate it. And folks, if you're listening, thank you. If you're watching, thank you. And we will talk to you soon.